0: Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez, and welcome to Deadtime Stories, a podcast by Graveyard Shift, dedicated to telling just that. Scary stories submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows? But they are scary. Tonight, our host, Deadhead, shares with you six tales. Now, please forgive me. I can take you no further. But your stories lie just ahead. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be... Mercurial. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed.
1: As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu podcast. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free?
2: my little cadavers. Your hunger for horror never ceases to amaze me. Tonight, I've plucked five frightening tales about trust. First up, a story about a woman named Brenda who just can't get ahead until she finds the trick to productivity.
3: It feels like there's never enough time. I'm always working, yet I'm never really getting anywhere. Constantly wading through elbow grease to the next deadline. Job after job, gig after gig. It takes so much to get ahead anymore. You know how it is. The grind was too much. I needed to work faster, or smarter maybe. Perhaps a trick or hack that would push me beyond what I'm capable of now. Something to make me more productive, make me superhuman. Coffee, Adderall, and late nights just weren't cutting it anymore. One morning, on my way to a coffee house, I was hoping would help me focus, I ran into a friend of mine, Claire, another freelancer like me. Despite the fact that we both created our own schedules and choose when to work, we somehow never had time to see each other. We hugged and called up with the usual chit-chat. She was still seeing her girlfriend. I told her I was still avoiding dating like the plague. We both enjoyed the new superhero flick. Then our talk turned to work, like it always does. Even when we're trying to be social, we can't help but ponder on climbable mountains. But this work chat was different. She wasn't griping the way I was, nor was she lamenting the lack of money. She was happy and about work. She was killing it lately and finally getting somewhere. I hated her for it, but I also pressed her for her secret to success. She just shrugged, so I pushed again. There had to be more to it. Finally, she looked over her shoulder like she was making sure no one heard and paused a moment. Finally, she handed me a piece of paper, leaned in and whispered, try this. She looked over her shoulder again like she'd seen someone she knew in the corner of her eyes, then turned back. Working is the only way, she said before walking away in a rush. Scrawled on the paper were six words I didn't recognize. Was she messing with me? Was Claire okay? Her words said she was on top of the world, but her face said she was scared. After attempting to work at the coffee shop for a few unfruitful hours, I decided to see what the hell Claire had written on that paper. It looked like nonsense. I walked back home and tried searching for the words online. There were a few hits. One of the words was almost like the name of a bar in San Francisco that lets you throw axes while you drink beer. A dry cleaner in Tampa had a name that wasn't quite spelled the same as one of them. And the closest, an online store that sold stones and preached the power of mysticism. A spell? I never clicked a link faster in my life. Had Claire really gotten into this crystal healing bullshit? This couldn't possibly be how she was getting so much done. I thought about texting her, but honestly, I didn't know how to do it without being mean. Oh, Claire. Days later, my deadlines were creeping up, and it seemed every minute I spent trying to work, the less actually got done. So, despite my skepticism, I reached for Claire's note one more time. I'd finally tried texting her about the bizarre words, even calling, but there was no response. Maybe she was embarrassed. I would be. I mean, I certainly was, standing in a crystal healing store, lurking around a large hunk of purple quartz. What little I could find online explained that I was to say the words while clutching it. I wasn't going to buy one of these trinkets, so I thought I'd just try to sneak in a free spell without anyone noticing. As soon as the clerk stepped into the back to change the music playing, I reached out my hand and began to read. I read the words three times, trying to focus on productivity. That's what the stuff online said to do. By the time I reached the last word of the last refrain, Ow! The lights went out. I felt a static shock in my fingertips touching the stone, and the paper in my other hand burst into flames. Then the lights came back on, and the clerk returned, apologizing for the blackout. She said she must have tripped the breaker somehow. In the corner of my eye, uh, another customer stood there, likely as startled as I was. Without wasting another moment, I left the store, mortified. So did the other customer. I turned to them to ask if they had seen the same thing I did, but uh, there was nobody there. No, I mean, someone was there, in the corner of my eye, but when I tried to turn to them, they were, there was nothing. I rushed home, cutting through alleys and parks, all the while being followed by something I couldn't see. Was it getting closer? If it was, why couldn't I see it? Finally, I got home and locked the doors. It was just me, yet I still felt it. I crawled into bed hoping to sleep it off, but the thing danced in the corners of my eyes ever closer. So I closed them, but it lingered there too, staring at me with the back of my own eyelids. What the hell have you gotten me into, Claire? What is this, this thing? What am I supposed to, work is the only way, I thought. Jumping out of bed so fast you'd think I was a child on Christmas morning. I ran to my home office as unseen fingers reached for my skin. Work is the only way. I worked and worked and worked, burning the midnight oil until it felt like my eyes had melted out of their sockets. And finally, I felt safe again. No crooked fingers reached for me in the back of my mind. No beast growled horrors in my ear. And nothing watched me with anticipation from the corner of my eye. I was okay. I was so very tired. I woke up around midday, much later than I usually slept. But I needed it. I did so much the night before, I was so productive, so productive, finally. But I quickly rubbed the dreams from my eyes. There was work to be done, and the thing had returned, closer again, I could feel it, see it, waiting in the corner of my eye, hoping I couldn't carry on. If I wanna stay safe, work is the only way.
2: All work and no play keeps Brenda alive for now. Ho, 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 ho. Let's play a game of our own cadavers and see who'll survive our first break. You made it! Let's do a quick head count. Let's see. Hmm, seems that ghostly guests have followed you back from the break. That's perfect, because our next tale is all about how to build a haunted house.
3: They say bad houses are born, not made. But I, a woman of paranormal science, am determined to prove to everyone that it's possible. With the proper research, planning, and skill, you too can build your very own haunted house. Step one, purchase cursed land that should never be the resting place of a cozy, loving home. There are always the classics like graveyards, Indian burial grounds, and the locations of famous massacres, but don't hesitate to look for other sources of dark energy. Hell mounds make for a terrific connection to the underworld, and the sites of sacrificial pagan rituals always make the spirits restless. But never purchase a home or patch of land which others claim to be haunted swindlers the lot of them. The only way to know for sure is to build one yourself on ground with a verified history of devilish corruption. Trust me. Step two, build a sturdy structure that offers comfort without convenience. The house should be filled with nice things, but also be laid out with twisting staircases, endless hallways, rooms filled with mirrors, hidden passages, and doors that lead to nowhere. The comforts draw spirits in as those things remind them of their former lives, but the confusing blueprint traps them inside forever, lost and forced to roam about. They can't leave if they can't find an exit. Think of the architecture as a ghostly honeypot that draws the dead in, then traps their soul for eternity. Step 3. Furnish your house with haunted items to seed the location with spirits right from the start. But be sure to note the difference between haunted, cursed, and possessed. Cursed items are beacons of raw evil, bad luck, and anti-miracles. If you find yourself in possession of a cursed item, you may meet your end before you even get to set foot in your mansion of mystery. A cursed necklace, for example, may lead you to be strangled by misfortune. Perhaps even more dangerous are possessed items, which carry a demonic presence within their very material. Nothing scares the dead away like the damned. With a possessed item, You'll most certainly have a home with some undeniable activity, but it will lead to nothing but irreversible doom. I'd stay away from ceremonial daggers and books bound in human skin if I were you. Haunted items, on the other hand, carry the triggerable soul remnants of someone who has passed on. This is exactly what you need. With a little psychic energy and an open casting call for those lost to the world of the living, you can draw out a ghost who's probably dying to have some company. In my house hangs the painting of a boy who cries every night, a sword that belongs to a soldier who still longs for honor, and a doll that a woman pretended was her dead daughter. A few items like this, and you're open for business. Step four. Feed your house the psychic energy it needs to come to life. Everything in the spirit world feeds on psychic energy. It's the air of the underworld, so for your house to be able to breathe, you must provide it. Don't waste your time with ghost hunters or thrill seekers. Contact mediums, clairvoyants, fortune tellers, and anyone with the power to see beyond the normal world. Invite them over for a tour, host clubs, put on events, or even pay them to come stay the night if you have to. The more you get inside, the more your house will breathe. Soon it will have its own pulse that will beat on its own, pounding harder whenever a new vessel draws near. And while seances can seem like tacky affairs, open communication with the dead done by the right people can be the shot of adrenaline your home needs. I plan on attending one tonight. Last but not least, step five. No haunted house would be complete without a murder. The more gruesome, the better. No need to worry about who does it, how it's handled, or who the victim is. All that matters is that it's brutal, excessive, and the victim isn't ready to die. The murder that occurred in this house happened last week, and I can assure you the victim was not ready to leave the mortal plane. So much left to do, so much. But alas, I had something to prove, and now I've done it. Even if they don't see, I know. I have definitive proof. Without a sliver of doubt, I know you can build a haunted house. Where was I? Yes, murder. I called a man who was known to do such things. He came late at night dressed all in black during the witching hour. His arms heavy with the weight of a rusty ax, he crept across the first floor towards the stairs, his breath steady in sync with the house's bosom heaving with psychic energy. Then he made his way up the stairs towards his victim, asleep in the first bedroom on the right. It was going to happen one of those nights, but only he knew it was that night when the moon hung low with a crooked smile. Then he came into the bedroom and ripped off the sheets before raising his ax for the killing blow. The ax pierced my chest, shattering my bones and carving through my flesh until it popped my heart like a soft egg. After that, all I remember is the cold. I knew it was coming, but I didn't know it would be then. I didn't know. But now, as I walk these halls, wandering through the maze I built with my own two hands, I can't help but smile. I know that a haunted house can be made, and I'll get to live in it forever.
1: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast.
2: Mary, Mary, I do admire your commitment to your home haunt. You really put your heart and soul into it. <laughs> now, hold on to your hearts, cadavers. We'll be right back after this short break. I wonder how many of you cadavers are driving down a long, dark road as we speak. If you saw someone thumbing for a ride, would you pick them up? Find out what happens when you don't in a tale I call
4: The Hitchhiker. It all started about three weeks ago. I was driving home from work. A last minute meeting with my boss and our project manager had run on too long and I was late for a date. A first date. I've been talking to this girl online every day for about a week and things were going pretty well. I liked her a lot and it seemed like she was into me, but now I was going to give a bad first impression. I just hate being late. So I pulled out of the employee lot and I did it. As I cruised down the street toward the freeway on ramp I dug into my jacket pocket and pulled out my phone to check maps to see how long it would take me to get to the bar. Said about 20 minutes, but if I hurried, I knew I could get there in about 10 and only be a little late. I started texting her to explain I was going to be late when I almost hit them, inches away. Right in front of the own ramp was a man. I think maybe a woman, I couldn't see their face. They were wearing baggy clothes and a deep hood. I rolled down my window to apologize, but they just stared at me. I apologized again. I'm so sorry, I didn't see you. I'm sorry, are are you all right? But nothing. They didn't yell back, they didn't talk. They didn't move. We sat there for what felt like minutes. No cars came, nothing happened. I could just hear the sound of traffic moseying along on the freeway above. All I could think was, who the hell was this? There was a homeless guy that usually begged for cash on this corner during the day, but this didn't look like him at all. The girl had sent me a text, letting me know she had arrived at the bar. I started getting impatient. I was already late and I hadn't let her know yet, and I didn't want to be any later called out again, but they just stood there blocking me. So I honked and honked then started to yell at them to move but they didn't. They didn't do anything. Eventually I threw it into the park and a bulk of my seatbelt, I had enough. I started to get out of the car when they finally started to move quickly. It was almost like they were gliding approaching my passenger side then around to the back passenger door where they knelt down out of view. They were doing something to my car. I could hear it. Like I thought they were keying the door or something, just loud scratching, you know. So I got all the way out of my car and started yelling at them to get lost. But when I rounded the front hood and my eyes finally adjusted from the bright lights, they were gone. I said whatever and got back into the car. I was super late now and didn't have time to figure out where they went. I sped off and got onto the freeway. A few moments later, I was hauling ass and weaving. my date she was getting antsy and a little pissed i pulled out my phone again to apologize and let her know i was on the way but as i started to type out my message i noticed a smell it was rank and sour like years of body odor battling with the stench of piss it was so bad i started to gag so i lowered the windows all of them hoping to air the car out then i saw something in the corner of my eye Something. I looked up and I saw it. Behind me, in my rearview mirror, I could see the hooded person I had almost run over, sitting in the back passenger seat. They were reaching out for me. Their long bony fingers snatched the phone out of my hand then quickly tossed it out the window. I slammed on the brakes and pulled over onto the shoulder. I turned around and there was nothing. No person, no bony hand, nothing. I checked the mirror again and nothing. The smell was gone too. By the time I finally reached the bar, my date was nowhere to be found. Made perfect sense. I was 30 minutes late and I had no phone. I could try a messenger from my laptop but the damage had been done. So I got back in my car and started to head home. Decided to get some fast food on the way, ordered my sad meal, pulled out of the drive-thru, so on and so forth. Well. While I was driving, I pulled out my junior bacon cheese and began unwrapping. Then I started to smell it again. The putrid odor had returned. I looked up at my rearview mirror and sure enough, there it was again, reaching for it once more. But this time, I was prepared and no longer on a busy freeway. So I tossed my burger back in the bag, prepared to grab a fairly large pocket knife out of the center console. But then I turned to face it. The thing was already gone. The smell too. When I got home later, I pulled into my garage and began a thorough check of my car while I ate my dinner. I couldn't find anything except some scratches on the rear passenger door, looked like a design of some kind, like a fancy letter or something. I don't know, I didn't recognize it. I tried buffing it out, but the scratches were deep through the paint and into the metal. A few days later, I took my car to the shop and got the paint looking like new again, but it didn't help. Still, when I'm driving, I'll smell that thing from time to time, the piss and B.O. assaulting my senses. Sometimes I'll even catch a glimpse of it in the mirror, dark hood, bony hands reaching for me. It makes my long commutes unpleasant, and I'm having trouble sleeping because I can't stop picturing it when I lie down at night. I roll on my side and imagine it slowly reaching for me from the other side of the bed. I know it's not there, but I think it just might be time to sell my car. Maybe I'll trade it in, get something electric, something less, I don't know, disturbing. I just, I just can't deal with it anymore.
2: see a stowaway in your back seat? I hope not. I need you to make it through the next break. Either way, I'll see you on the other side shortly. (laughs) Welcome to the other side, cadavers. You've earned yourself another tale. This one follows a man in search of a rare
5: object, in a story I call, The Collector. Some people think that collecting toys is for children. But, I can assure you, it is not. My prized collection, which I've painstakingly acquired over the course of 20 years, is probably worth more than your car and that doesn't include my trading cards, my film memorabilia, and rare factory-sealed video games. It's been hard to date women. My apartment is currently overflowing with my collection, and my parents still think I'm wasting my money, but when I finally offload this stuff, I'll be living like a king. I think what excites me the most about collecting is the hunt itself. Finding that missing piece to complete a set is like discovering a lost civilization. It takes countless hours of research, stern determination, and a healthy dose of luck. I've traveled thousands of miles, endlessly haggled and given up my personal well-being, all to nab the goodies. There's no rush quite like discovery, friends. I had been searching for a particular figure for years. It was part of a once popular line, but there were some special qualities that made it a true diamond in the rough. First, they only made about a thousand of them. Now, that's not very many when it comes to toys. Second, it was a convention exclusive. You could only get it at particular cons years back. Third, I was after... One of those eight misprinted versions of the figure. Then, to make it even more difficult, five out of those eight were accounted for, being held by some other prominent collectors in my circle. So, if I took into account the law of unknowing, meaning a percentage of those probably belong to young children or adults who don't know what they have, I was essentially looking for a single piece. But happenstance finally struck one afternoon when I received a message online. A new user on a collector forum I frequented mentioned a piece that sounded similar to what I was looking for. Without any hesitation, I jumped into my car and raced out to the countryside where they lived. Within a couple hours, I was driving in a small town I had only driven through before. I was searching for a quaint coffee shop to meet them. The seller, who turned out to be an elderly woman, told me that she had acquired the toy from a garage sale. It had previously belonged to a local teenager that had drowned. He had been drinking by the river with his friends when one jokingly pushed him in. He had hit his head and that was that. She thought it was odd that the toy was still in a box, so she did a web search and she saw dollar signs. But she didn't have it with her. She wanted to see if I was serious about purchasing it first, and at a price that she, of course, wanted. I was. As the sun started to set, I followed her old pickup to a farmhouse about 20 minutes away. My palms were sweaty with excitement. When we arrived, she asked me to kindly take off my shoes and come inside. She poured me a glass of fresh lemonade, and then negotiations began. A man entered the room. It was her son, and she introduced us. He seemed awkward, didn't say much, so I let him be and went back to haggling while he watched off to the side. Finally, I blurted out a number I was hoping I'd never reach, and she looked at her son and then said, is that good enough? Will he do? I figured he was worried that I was going to scam the old lady, (laughs) so I explained to him that my offer was a great price and that I was determined to complete my collection. After a long, awkward pause, he just looked at his mother and nodded. Then, he left the room through the door he came in. Go on, the woman said. He wants to show you his collection. Suddenly, it all made sense. Her son was a collector too, so of course he wanted to make sure that they got a good deal. So, I did as she said. I opened the door and I started walking down the stairs into the basement, getting more and more excited with with every step. But... When I got down there, it it wasn't what I expected. Instead of shelves lined with collectibles or boxes of toys stacked up high, it was jars. Piles and piles of jars, filled with dirt. I stopped at the last stair, and he was on the other side of the basement, fiddling with some sort of equipment. I asked him where the figure was, and he just kept tinkering with whatever it was. I was getting impatient, so I asked again, this time a little less politely. Well, where is it? Still nothing. Above me, I could hear the footsteps of the mother on the hardwood floor. They were echoing through the open door up the stairs. Something felt wrong. I looked back up and thought about leaving, but then he finally spoke. He said, I've never met another collector before. It's perfect. Flames erupted in a large cast-iron oven across the room. I could feel the blast of heat washing over my face, and I quickly began to sweat. Perfect for what? I asked. Before he could answer, it hit me. The jars. They're not filled with dirt. I immediately turned around and ran up the stairs and I could see the mother approaching the door. As she went to close it, I lowered my shoulder and I plowed through it before she could latch it. The woman flew back and landed on the ground hard. She howled in pain and as I raced out the house and, and back into my car. I didn't even bother grabbing my shoes and, and I drove the whole way in socks. I thought about calling the police, but what was I going to tell them? I didn't stop to get an address while I was escaping, and I'm pretty sure I broke that woman's hip. So I just went home, hoping that I'd never run into those people again. I didn't get the piece I was looking for that day. Some series just aren't worth completing. But at least I didn't become a piece in someone else's collection.
0: Figure Lending, LLC, DBA Figure. Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Ooh,
2: that was a close call. Daryl nearly found himself in a pickle. A pickle jaw, that is. ha 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 ha! Uh, Don't get sour just yet, cadavers. I have one more tale to share after the break. On to our final story of the night. I'm sure you cadavers will find this one rather... Sweet. I call it Saturday Morning cartoon.
3: Detective Roberta Carlisle, Spring Creek PD, March 3rd, 2005. <sighs> Received a tip email yesterday from a colleague, a friend, in Ridgecrest, with information that may pertain to our current investigation of the Goodyear's kid. Striking similarities, the same imaginary friend, the time frame, almost all of it. We've made no progress over the last three days, so this might be the break we need. Requested the case files, should have them by tomorrow morning. Hmm. Thinking barbecue for dinner. Detective Roberta Carlisle, SCPD, March... Uh, fourth 2005 received the case files this morning and have been pouring over the documents there are recordings photos email transcripts what have you just as i was afraid of everything lines up here are the facts about 10 years ago a boy named matthew benson went missing around ridgecrest the same way our kid did only lead they had were some recordings from Matthew's sessions with his therapist dr jerome larkin matthew claimed he was being visited by a dog man on a regular basis and being given cereal like in a bowl, as long as Matthew promised not to tell anyone. Very similar to our case, playing tape A003.
4: Matthew, who is your imaginary friend?
3: He's just a friend.
4: It's a he. Are you sure? No, Matthew is nodding. What's his name? Matthew? Does he have a name? Your friend doesn't have a name? Are you not supposed to say? Is he a secret friend?
3: It's just pretend.
4: Hmm. It's fun to pretend, isn't it?
3: Yeah. In the next recording, Dr. Larkin is able to get a name out of Matthew, playing tape A-004.
4: Why don't you tell me again about your friend, the Doggy Man? What's his name? Matthew. Come on now. Tasty. His name is Tasty? No, Matthew is nodding yes. And when did you meet Tasty for the first time? Go on, it's okay. Tasty won't mind you talking about him, I promise.
3: Um, I, I watched cartoons and play, and I seen him outside in the backyard.
4: What does Tasty look like?
3: He's tall, with a doggy head, and, and a, um, one of those, uh, it has no arms. A vest? Yeah. He was out there with cereal and waved at me. He did, he he went like this for me to come here, so I went out there. Then what happened? He jumped and danced and, and sing songs. Then he gave me some cereal. He goes, ruff, ruff, tasty bites. They're doggone good, like a fun cartoon guy.
4: Sounds fun. How often does he give you these, tasty bites? Don't worry, you won't get in trouble.
3: A lot. Okay.
4: Matthew, do you always eat the cereal? Do you?
3: Yeah, I hide the bowls and spoons in the sandbox.
4: I see. Matthew is tasty here right now.
3: He told me to keep it a secret.
4: He's not here then? No. Good.
3: He, He says I'm special. He says I can do anything if I try hard enough.
4: Well, you are special, Matthew.
3: Clearly some sort of predator was targeting Matthew, using sugar cereal as bait. Other recordings from Larkin have Matthew saying Tasty the dog wants him to go on an adventure and follow him to a place where he can eat as much cereal as he wants. Two days later, after the last recording, Matthew went missing. Roberta Carlisle, SCPD, March 5th. After questioning kids at the elementary school, Manuel Gutierrez attended. We have, well, I won't call it a breakthrough. It's a, well, I'll just tell it like it happened. Several of Manuel's classmates report him the same way. Friendly kid, always in old tattered clothes and mismatched shoes, who rarely had anything to eat at lunch. His stomach would make noises during class. I don't think his guardians were feeding him much. Child services confirmed that his foster parents were under investigation. However, they were too overloaded with casework to visit the home. One of Manuel's classmates, a shy girl, worked up the courage to tell me that she witnessed Manuel walk off campus into the woods at recess. She said he was eating a bowl of cereal and talking to someone invisible, following him into the woods. She pointed in the direction they went. I went to check it out. I found a set of footprints, mismatched shoes. I followed them deep into the woods and then they stopped, right there in the mud without any sign of struggle, as if something pulled Manuel into the sky. I searched all over, expecting to find a body in the bushes. No body. But I did find a few things that make me wonder if we'll ever find Manuel. First, I found a cereal bowl and a spoon. a giant stone like one you'd find in the foundation of a castle. It was made of solid sugar. Let's jump
1: into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.
2: I hope you enjoyed our five tales of trust and do come visit me again soon. We have many more short, scary stories to share. Sweet dreams, my little cadavers.
0: (laughs) You've made it through the night. Congrats. Let's get going before that changes. The six stories you've heard were written by Patrick LaFoon. Tonight's production starred Kayla Jeffries, Todd Denson, Todd Lights, and Gogo go Lomo David, with editing by my younger brother, Martin Martinez. I believe you can find your way
2: home from here. Until next time, farewell.